0: Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about Christianity and politics. My family was watching a show on Disney Junior a couple of days ago when a commercial came on that let all of the kids know that Disney celebrates all kinds of families. (laughs) It was an interesting message to an audience whose average age has to be something like five years old. To expect what has been happening in recent years is an article from Megan Besham, who is, writes for the Daily Wire. And she says, in the past few years, every week seems to bring headlines in the Hollywood trades heralding a studio or network's onboarding of a new diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, executive. Netflix, Lionsgate, AMC, Warner Brothers, Disney, Cirrus XM, TikTok, NBC, all have thrown big C suite salaries at hires who will ensure their organizations stay in good standing with the left wing activist groups. Or, if not in good standing, at least good enough to keep Black Lives Matter and Nicole Hannah Jones off their back. In fact, these days, it would be harder to find an established Entertainment company of any stripe that doesn't have some in-house professional making sure all of its reputation eyes are dotted and t's are crossed. Now, just how ubiquitous has the DEI class become in Hollywood? Well, despite the fact that it was doing diversity long before diversity was cool, even Sesame Street now has its own dedicated inclusion enforcer though a recent article published on uh, journalistic Barry Weiss website common sense which has nothing to do with this uh, web this website or this podcast uncommon sense but on his common sense we- uh, website he cited the 2015 hashtag Oscar's so white controversy as the Catalyst for Tinseltown's uh, awokening. The truth is, the entertainment world is in perfect lockstep with the rest of of corporate America when it comes to the DEI trend. A recent study from the career networking platform LinkedIn, for instance, found that diversity and inclusion offers uh, officers are now the fastest growing job with chief in the title. Now, trickling down from there in middle management, DEI jobs are now the second highest in demand behind only vaccination specialists, a role that hopefully won't be quite as sought after once COVID uh, infections uh, start to to recede. The difference between Viacom, CBS, and Citigroup changing their hiring and promotion practices from merit-based to representation-based however is that Viacom CBS's policies are instantly reflected in their public-facing product the shows that you that you see on your TV screen for instance until the last few years a company wanting to prove its commitment to racial gender and, and sexual identity justice needed only to roll out a couple of annual, you know unconscious bias seminars and, and sensitivity workshops under the umbrella of human resources. The problem, as activists eventually found, was that such per, um, performative exercises were too easy to, you know, for both management and employees to check off their to-do lists and forget. Cheap diversity statements, including buzzwords like allyship, you've heard that one, right? And, and BIPOC, and that of course, stands for Black, Indigenous, uh, People of Color, uh, didn't functionally change a free market corporate culture. Even the most progressive sectors like tech still hired the most qualified recruits as opposed to the most diverse, let's say. What that meant in Hollywood was that while studio and network executives paid lip service to feminism and racial justice, they still chose the scripts, directors, and actors Sure to put butts in seats, right? I mean, doubt that money rather than white privilege was was driving the driving factor of fame and fortune in the early two thousands. Well, then consider that some of the most successful actors of those decades were Will Smith, Halle Berry, and Jamie Fox. By the same token, Ava de uh, Verna and and Shonda Rhimes and and John Singleton became directing and producing powerhouses long before anyone had ever heard of Black Lives Matter. Thus, more and more leftist reformers began arguing that DEI, or Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, must become its own initiative within an organization rather than an offshoot of HR. For a time, this led corner offices to contract with Pricey, outside consultants we've we've talked about that on on this podcast before about the kind of money that some of these woke consultants are making. The demands such uh, such experts made could be, you know exacting through uh, as as detailed in a New York uh, magazine story that described dei consultant uh, work as granular. The reforms such as, Consultants recommend in, included everything from um, reconstructing salaries and bonuses to reforming insurance options uh, to giving employee resource groups, which basically they're, they're essentially at work group therapy where membership depends on the color of your skin. So if you're the right color, you can have group therapy. If not, then you can And then the ability to to weigh in on marketing campaigns even uh, was. Was given here. Now, hidden within New York's uh, reporting was the key that explains why so many companies have now begun to turn away from outside input and instead have dedicated, sometimes enormous sums, to full-time DEI staffers. The consultants told the the outlet that many of their corporate clients. Quote, don't really want to change. <laughs> they just want to look as if they're changing. That's a shocker, right? The tendency of some DEI companies to badmouth their clients for failing to take their advice was placed in high relief during the implosion of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, the group behind the Golden Globes. Now, I don't know if you've heard about this, but When the HFPA was dealing with a PR nightmare over its lack of black members, it hired several diversity, equity, and inclusion consultants. According to The Hollywood Reporter, two of those image fixers had different ideas about how to get the organization back in in racial activists' good graces. One quit, actually, after accusing the HFPA of of refusing to um, commit to concrete actions, they said. (laughs) Ultimately, she let let it be known to the entertainment press that she believed that the Golden Globe's problems were so deep-rooted that it was a lost cause. (laughs) The second consultant resigned soon after, actually, claiming that the scope of the issue was, quote, beyond what he originally understood it to be. In the end, the organization ended up with an exponentially bigger image problem than it had even started with. Uh, if they had just weathered the storm and and said, you know what, this is a uh, just a bunch of garbage as far as you know, we're not diverse enough and this kind of thing, that would have gone over so much better. But then trying to look woke and then having the woke consultants uh, quit and all that was a big mistake. It resulted in nearly every major industry player cutting ties with the Globes, including broadcast partner NBC. Two weeks ago, the HFPA handed out honors without a red carpet, without celebrities, without so much as a streaming live feed for audiences at home to watch. They didn't even have that. For all practical purposes, the Golden Globes no longer exists as an award production. And that's the kind of cautionary tale that has been landing companies to make yesterday's consultants today's full-time DEI employees. The idea being that in the high-stakes game of Hollywood media coverage, an in-house executive is less likely to leak negative information to, uh, I don't know, uh, um, vanity or deadline because any failures would be their own in many respects. And after all, the money for a DEI corner office is reportedly very good. (laughs) Now, last March, pundit David French argued that the right puts, quote, way too much stock in the current, in the uh, the content of diversity training uh, manuals. They treat it as culture-changing stuff. When most folks approach it with a sense of bored irritation, a a box they have to check before they get back to their days. He went on to say the the main reason companies do it is to mitigate litigation risks. And if French had any notion of the the latest inclusion standards being issued by the nearly every major Hollywood studio, he'd know just how outdated his understanding of current DEI practice is. and, and, And he'd know that the way the game is played these days, studios may very well be putting themselves at greater likelihood of lawsuits by acquiescing to the inclusion officers demand. Today, diversity standards aren't about making sure employees don't use offensive words or minority staffers, uh, you know, the feeling emotionally supported or not, they're about hard quotas. To wit, ABC has has commented, uh, has committed to making sure, get this, 50% of its showrunners, writers, producers, crew, performers, virtually everyone involved in a production checks a BIPOC representation box by the end of the year. That's 50%. CBS is claiming uh, and and, and aiming for 40% minority representation in its writers' uh, uh, rooms and and for 25% of its script development budget to fund projects from creators, writers, and producers who qualify as diverse. That's to go along with the, the new diversity mandates required for Oscar and Emmy Awards. So... Even when a company has, you know, dutifully employed diversity, equity, and inclusion staff and implemented their internal mandates, you know, racial activists still, you know, they, they may still launch shockingly personal and vicious attacks against specific white uh, competitors, as as when 130 activists filmmakers accused PBS of all networks of a race racist over reliance on the work of documentarian Ken Burns. Now widely recognized as one of the most gifted non-fictional filmmakers of our era, a man who has has honored as really has, has honed his skills over 44 years. Burns' name alone draws millions of viewers to the network. Yet the letters signatories claim PBS executives relationship with him was the result of an uninvestigated privilege. <laughs> Quote, questioning whether PBS could be doing better should not be seen as an attack, they wrote in a, in a sinister bit of gaslighting, of course. Quote, but as an opportunity to meaningful dialogue and action and to engage BIPOC filmmakers as we chart a course forward unquote. (laughs) In the end, PBS gave in to their demands, promising to sink, get this, $11 million exclusively into documentaries from BIPOC filmmakers, while announcing that, you know, producers who want to work with the network in the future will have to demonstrate how their project, quote, aligns with PBS's DEI principles, unquote. And of course, a lot of PBS's money Comes directly from taxpayers. In other words, there were there were protection rackets in Sicily, less effective than today's racial justice syndicates at extracting money from frightened marks. <laughs> this kind of muscle flexing to remove you know potent rivals in the job market is exactly what a former Disney producer who asked to have his name withheld, describes. He said, while making and and while working for the Mouse House, <laughs> the producer experienced all of the racial struggle sessions um, wherein he was encouraged to recognize his white privilege and guilt that has been well covered by independent journalists like Christopher Roof. Um, But he describes the real impact of DEI in much more concrete terms. For instance, in his five years with the company, he details having to maintain records that proved he was giving minority and female candidates the first opportunity, and sometimes the only opportunity, at every job. Quote, the vice presidents of production would tell us, we're going to make a commitment to X amount of diversity, he tells him. So we had to, this is a quote, so we had to start logging every African-American that we would put forward to direct and every African-American owned company that we would put forward to produce a project. And they would provide us with outside companies that were sort of collaborating all of the females and minorities in the industry for hiring purposes. What he found what what he found more frustrating was having to pass over loyal long-time contractors to fill a racial quota. He said, "Quote, I was like, these guys have been working with us for years," he recalls. "And we know we can rely on them. We're going to pass over this guy who we know does a good does good work because He's not black, it just doesn't make any sense. Once hired, the producer tells me that the the, the talent employed to meet diversity mandates often feel empowered to make demands that would have been out of the question for their white counterparts. The the Common Sense article, again, no relation to uncommon sense, right? The Common Sense article reported on one Hollywood insider who said human resources departments at the studios are streaming service, uh, uh, streaming services are awash in complaints directed at white male showrunners just for doing their job. It's gotten to the point where I won't give notes on a script any longer to a woman or a person of color. My, my source in this, in this article says says the same. He he describes one incident, and he, he asked to keep the details vague, where, um, where a black actress was hired with a clear understanding of her role in a G-rated scene. Once it was time to shoot, she decided she wouldn't, uh, she didn't want to perform the scene as scripted, feeling it would mess up her hair. <laughs> The director persisted, explaining that the terms of her contract were clear. The actress dissolved into tears, and the director was ultimately reprimanded for his lack of racial sensitivity. <laughs> no one else stepped up to address the situation because the producer tells tells him that if it had anything to do with anything racial, none of us were gonna say anything, because you know It's all just kind of keep your head down so that the finger doesn't get pointed at you. Yet for all of the difficulty of trying to work under such fraught conditions, the producer says the most troubling aspect of DEI department's oversight was the question of whether what they were doing was even legal. Quote, I would try to raise the issue very subtly, like... Are we going to get in trouble if I call up an agent or somebody and say we only want African-American directors? Am I going to get in trouble for that? And essentially, the vice president told me, that's why we want to go through these third parties. (laughs) By third parties, the producer means entertainment hiring platforms that specialize in offering studios only candidates of color. (laughs) A business model that's proliferated throughout the industry In the last few years, despite its dubious legality. Certainly, if there's any hope of arresting the DEI train now that it's barreling down the tracks, it likely lies with the courts. I I reach out to a former entertainment uh, attorney himself, a a, a racial minority who's now general counsel for a multi-billion dollar tech firm and once again for the for the sake of uh, continued employment he asked me not to use his name but he shared that he has serious doubts over whether the kind of overtly race-based quotas now being openly employed in in Hollywood are constitutional even he he does n- nonetheless acknowledge that it's happening all over corporate america particularly in the in the highest echelons he said, quote, DEI departments really push to hire minority candidates at the executive level, he shares. You'll hear, we really need to diversify our executive leadership team. Or they'll say, look, it's going to be most meaningful if we can show diverse metrics to the executive leadership team. So we should really stress hiring diverse candidates for this position. He explains that most times non-minority candidates will never know for sure that they were passed over because they failed to meet the BIPOC requirement. Quote, if you're a white male, you may not make an initial selection cut, let alone second interviews or callbacks, he says. That makes it difficult for lawyers and lawsuits to develop from the outside. But if such practices are provable they have companies open to getting sued quote a lot of uh, a lot of that's going to be due to diversity equity and inclusion de- departments that kind of push for that the attorney says and again you know i think a lot of times it's couched in such words that it may not be a legal slam dunk if it were found out or, you know, discovered later. And he continues, he says, the challenge for businesses is if they're merely looking at diversity as a kind of plus factor or simply saying, hey, it's good to have diverse candidates, then that might be fine. But unfortunately, the reality is it's gotten to the point in the entertainment industry where it's almost, you know, if you're white and male, you need not apply. And I think to the extent it gets to the to that level, you're, you're going to see a lot of unlawful discrimination and unlawful termination type of lawsuits, or even failure to hire, failure to consider, especially if it's that blatant and it's becoming that blatant. But even part of the legal jeopardy There's also the question of whether the conventional wisdom that embracing DEI is smart business is a smart business decision, and if that's correct, the the marketing angle is that being able to show the public that your company is doing the work of racial and gender justice is an inevitable net good for corporate image. The general counsel I, I spoke with, however, points out how Jen, you know, how, how greatly this, this assumption has proved to be wrong with at least half the country, from Major League Baseball facing the ire of fans for, for moving the game out of Georgia last year to Coca Cola being blasted for telling employees to be less white. Wokeness often isn't the selling point, it's, it's made out to be. Quote, you are seeing, starting to see, to see a pushback emerge. The, the attorney t- tells uh, this. He says essentially, in the cutting edge sectors like cryptocurrency, you got these companies that are called mission focused companies now, <laughs> like Coinbase, who has said, look, we're not going to, to bring politics into the workplace. We're just going to focus on the mission of our company. That's still a significant minority view, but it's starting to emerge more strongly. And I think that things are changing and they're changing for the good. The, there are two types of, of music that are definitely not on my playlist. <laughs> when I go to Spotify or whatever, you're not going to find anything that is um, country, and you're not going to find anything that's rap. <laughs> but I was introduced to a rapper by the name of Tom McDonald, and he has some incredible lyrics to many of his songs. And now, don't get me wrong, he is far from from producing Christian music, but it shows that not everyone in the entertainment industry is in fear of the social justice warriors. I want you, I, I want to read to you the lyrics to his song called "Snowflakes," so you can see what I'm talking about. And no, I'm not going to wrap this, okay? <laughs> he says, if you lie to the government, they'll put you in prison. But when they lie to us, it's called being a politician. If you think taking guns away will save our kids from killers, or killings, but your pro-choice abortion kills way more children, if America is so terrible and racist, it probably isn't safe to encourage immigration just saying. All the contradictions are embarrassing. You know who hates America the most? Americans. Trigger warnings used to be on TV for seizures, and now they're everywhere to protect millennials' feelings. He, she, his, him, hers, them, they. Screw the pronoun, cause everyone's a retard these days. I hear 'em preaching at a protest that hatred's the problem, but hating straight men. White folks and Christian is common. Coca-Cola telling people they should be less white. They're preaching tolerance, but if you disagree, they fight. There's a race war here, elections based on fear. Black lives only matter once every four years. Soldiers die for this country, and every one of us benefits. Give welfare to the bums and forget about the veterans. Black folks and white folks divided by the news. We were all the same. We are red, white, and blue. Ashamed to be American? Okay, that's cool. Because honestly, we are all ashamed of you too. You all are so fake. Oh, no. The forecast said that there's be snowflakes. Whoa. (laughs) You can't make us see it your way. No way. Gasoline and propane, more flames. Oh, no no more snowflakes. He goes on to say, they blurred the lines, divided communism and, and and democracy. In 2021, we paint the patriots as Nazis. The men playing women's sports get trophies for winning. Like, great, let's celebrate a man for beating some woman. If you're black, your life matters. You're supposed to embrace it. If you're rich, you're smart, then you're probably Asian. If you're gay, then you're brave. All of that I'm okay with. But if you're white, the stereotype is you are a racist. Blaming capitalism like that's the reason things are tough while you tweet from an iPhone and sip on a Starbucks. You're supporting what you stand against. You don't think you are, but a Percocet addict don't donate money to pharma. We're all afraid to speak the truth, and the more afraid we get, the more we hate the ones who do. You see, <laughs> there are those that are standing up against this stuff, and I maintain this will only grow. I think you're going to see it. And you, you may agree with me on that. You may disagree with, with me on that, and I would love to hear from you. And you can always do that at sensepodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.